Rejoice with me, for this is the day that the Lord has made. So we shall all rejoice and be glad in it. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly God, our Lord, we come this morning thanking you for this opportunity to break bread together through the sharing of your word. We pray, O oh God, that this word might revive us again, invigorate our minds, our hearts, our souls, energize us, O oh God, to do that which you have called and created us to do so that we might see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And together we all said, Amen. So good to be with you this morning. So good to share what the Lord has laid upon my heart. And I pray that you too feel energized and invigorated. For this morning, I came to share with all of us that we are on a mission. Matthew chapter 10, our gospel reading for this morning that Andy has just shared with us, is an energizing, invigorating, and convicting gospel text. Perhaps you didn't feel it upon first reading, so I'm going to highlight a portion of it that we will return to together, and then hopefully we can dive in a little bit. So get ready, because I want to hear some engagement and some, some, some excitement. So in Matthew 10, the part of the text that I'd like to lift as we go on this mission together is the portion where Jesus says, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered and nothing secret that will not become known. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. In today's gospel text, we enter into a conversation that has already begun. Jesus, in this text, is preparing his disciples to go into the world on a mission. It's actually a graduation ceremony. And why not join in during the months of May and June to a commencement address that Jesus is bringing to his disciples? His disciples are graduating from Disciple University and going on to become apostles. A disciple is one who devotes time to following, to learning, and to studying the, the teachings of Jesus Christ. Whereas an apostle is one who not only follows, learns, and studies, but one who is sent on a mission by God. An apostle is the next step, the next level of a disciple. So Jesus has chosen these disciples and is now conferring upon them cords and hoods, giving them their good disciple diplomas. And I'm sure some of them were summa cum laude. Some were magna cum laude. And of course, some were thank you laude. In his commencement address, Jesus is giving them a powerful call to action. He's sending them on a mission with a charge to proclaim the good news and to share the message that the kingdom of heaven is near. In the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus summons his 12 disciples and gives them authority over unclean spirits 
gives them the authority to cast those spirits out, gives them the authority to cure every disease and every sickness. He says then that these 12 disciples shall go out with these instructions. They are to go and proclaim the good news, to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Their mission is connected to Jesus's mission that we hear of in Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. This mission that Jesus is calling his disciples into apostles to do is a mission that is also connected to the broader mission of our God. Our God is a missional God, a missionary sending forth God who sends light, form, life, Moses, prophets, angels, storms, plagues, a cloud by day and a fire by night. God sends commandments, Abraham and God's word into the earth to accomplish that which he purposed for the word to accomplish from the very beginning of what we know this world to be. God has sent forth into the world. In the Old Testament, God sends God's covenant to one man named Abraham. Abraham's descendants, Israel, receive God's word and covenant. And Israel, a nation called by God, is a remnant of a chosen people to God to do God's will and mission on earth. Within the remnant emerges a man who is sent into the world to make the way open for all peoples, to become joint heirs to the throne of God, to receive God's covenant and to hear God's word. So at the beginning with Abraham and finally with Jesus, God purposed that the whole world of men and women would be the recipient of God's saving word and grace that has been sent. Our modern understanding of mission is rooted in this Old Testament concept and then further emphasized in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we are called to be on a mission to reach the whole world for Jesus Christ. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have set you to be a light to the Gentiles so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. In the New Testament, we are called to be the church in action, to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. In the New Testament, we are called to obey the Great Commission, Go ye therefore into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lest we think that this commencement address is just for the chosen 12, this great commission, the go ye therefore, pulls all of us in. The great commission is the charge and the mission that pulls us in to this great movement of God on the earth. God is calling us all to graduate from being disciples into a life and work of an apostle, the priesthood of all believers. You thought you were just coming to hear me preach, and now you hear that you too are being called into this movement to be part of the priesthood of all believers. Lock the doors. 
like the disciples in our text today, we are being called and enlisted into action to move from learners to agents, to put our learning and studying into action, realizing that we are on a mission, a mission undergirded by a command to love our neighbors as ourselves and to love one another as Christ has loved us, pushes us to shift our mindsets. Our mindsets must shift from charity mindsets to mission mindsets. What does that mean? A charity mindset, which may be well-intentioned, can entrench detrimental power structures and systems. A charity mindset can create a distanced us versus them dynamic. I'll give my money to them over there. I will send resources to them over there, and hopefully they can get it together. A mission mindset engages the people and communities that we strive to uplift with our contributions and giving. It leans in on relationship building with an asset-based approach that appreciates the assets and gifts on both sides of that equation. Rather than an us versus them, it says me plus them equals us. When we are mission-minded, we act like God and continue to participate in, the, in God's work on the earth. Our mission, are you ready for it? We are called to be part of this missional move by moving from glory to glory, faith to faith, moving mountains, and answering the charge of to whom much is given, much is required. We are being sent forth into our city to step outside of our bubbles, to tithe not only our money, but also our privilege. To tithe not only our money, but also our influence, our expertise on behalf of God's children to create the beloved community, which is full of rich diversity and undergirded by love. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, that in order to create a beloved community, it will require a qualitative change in our souls as well as a quantitative change in our lives. How we spend our time, where we spend our time, who we spend our time with, what we spend our time doing. Our mission is to proclaim the good news. We, the hands, the feet, the voice of God on earth, the ambassadors of our wonderful, great, big God must call forth God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus gave them authority, remember? There's more authority within us than we realize. It's not based on our resumes. It's based on our airship into God's great mission. By reclaiming this good news, we call ourselves and others prophetically in to look at what can be with God. Mm. Imagine a world where God's love and justice reside. Justice in the midst of injustice, light in the midst of darkness, love in the midst of hate. The good news offers grace and mercy in place of condemnation and brutal judgment. The good news creates a narrative that is used to unite rather than divide. Anybody need some good news? Yeah. Unfortunately, in our public discourse, that was great. 
our Christian faith is often used to divide rather than unite. Faith and talk of faith is often manipulated for political gain. Faith is used in name only in order to ally with certain political mores and money interests. Politicians have so misused faith that they've divided our country and encouraged reckless violence rather than unity, love, reconciliation, and a coming together for the public good. This perverted narrative of our faith has driven many away from the church, has made Christians afraid to say that they are, and has pushed rather than drawn. On this mission, as representatives of God on this earth, we cannot allow our faith to be distorted and silent in the faith of, face of injustice and systemic disparities. We cannot our faith, allow our faith to be hijacked by politics, social media algorithms, by naysayers, by those who are cynical and hypocritical, but we must start afresh a narrative based upon the good news that has drawn many of us in here today. Our faith is worth more than partisan politics. Our faith is worth more than strife-filled arguments. There's a difference between partisan politics and standing up for issues of justice and truth that affect our neighbors and our communities. We have to stop giving in to the attempts to thwart our Christian witness. When people try to tell us to stay neutral, Jesus was not neutral. Jesus took bold stands against injustice. He took bold stands against any ism that denied the humanity of another and blocked the love and justice that our faith demands we give, offer, and are known by. Generations before us and generations to come are looking for us to stand up and act up for justice's sake. I love that in this text that Jesus also says, he slips it in and he says, for I know the number of hairs upon your head. That means that our witness is societal, it is big, but it's also personal. The Bible tells us that others are set free and encouraged by our personal testimonies. So this good news that we are charged to proclaim must be one, yes, of where we need to go together as a society, but it's also one that should be infused with your personal testimony of who God is in your life. I need to hear more Christians talking about the good news of a God who made a way out of no way. Has God made a way for anyone in here? I need to hear more Christians raise their hand in testimony and talk about how God has healed their bodies or their minds. Has God healed anyone in here? Do you know of a Jesus who in the midst of chaos can bring a peace that surpasses all understanding? Anyone in here experienced the peace of God in the midst of drama and crisis? I know it's not common, but I need a, a hand of testimony to show that Jesus has moved in your life that God has made a way in your life, that God has brought 
people who have been separated together in your families, around tables, that God has renewed love and hope. Has God brought you hope? Has God renewed love for you? As your hands raise, so your testimonies go forth. That is part of being on a mission for God. As a songwriter says, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Those of us who are the hands and the feet and the voices of God in the earth, are you with me today? When we go on a mission, it's scary. Jesus is honest about it. He says in this chapter of Matthew that I'm sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And he goes on then to say, but don't be afraid. This fear thing is real. It is human. It is natural. When we're called to go on a mission, we are called to go into unknown, unfamiliar territory. But I want to encourage you that that fear that goes and tries to stop you should not overcome your faith or God's call because so much of that fear is imagined. Fear, false evidence appearing real. Dr. King goes on to say that we must face our fears because when we do, we will open the door and realize they're no longer there. But more than that, God says when he sends folks throughout the Bible on a mission, he over hundreds of times says, do not be afraid because he knows our humanity. He knows that we're going into unknown territory. He tells Joshua, as Joshua is preparing to take the, the charge to lead the Israelites into the promised land, to be courageous and not to fear. He tells Jeremiah on the brink of accepting his call into the prophetic ministry, do not fear their faces. He tells Mary on the brink of bringing forth the G Jesus, the child and the son of God into the world. Mary, do not fear for the Lord your God is with you. God couples the charge of not fearing, of not being afraid with the promise of God's very presence. Taking up this charge and command to go on a mission is not lightweight, it's not easy, it's fearful, it's scary, it's unknown. We start to doubt our own capacity, but God is reminding us that we are not told to do it alone. That coupled with this call to a mission charge is God's very presence. Coupled with this charge to step into unfamiliar territory is God's promise to never leave us nor forsake us. Coupled with this charge is a collective call for us to turn away from relationships that have been given our priority and turn our priority to a relationship with God, to seek God first. And when we do, our fears are abated because we realize we're in this mission together. It calls forth the hourness of our faith, the hourness of our prayer and our plea to God to be with us every step of the way. It is that hour that we use when we pray 
Our Father, Mother, Parent, God, hallowed be thy name. So grab your imaginary tassel on the right. Turn it to the left. Because this day, my brothers and sisters, you have graduated from being a disciple into that life of being active and alive and revived apostles on a mission to bring good news at a time when we surely need it. So as you do so, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the very palm of God's hand. For thine is God's kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.